Good morning and Happy New Year. If you would, please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And also, I want you to mark in, in your Bible somewhere Hebrews 10. If you would place something in there, we'll be looking at that in a few minutes. But we're going to start with Deuteronomy 5. As you're turning there, I want to uh, uh, tell you all thank you for your prayers for my mom. Uh, many of you have been asking me about her this morning. For those of you that don't know, she was walking through a parking lot uh, in Tennessee. Uh, this week in the grocery store and was uh, struck by a car, but uh, she's actually doing quite well, has a, has a broken wrist and uh, recovering from a concussion, but all in all, we're quite thankful. It could have been much worse. So thank you for praying for her, continue to pray for her as she uh, will need to recover from that broken wrist over the next month or so. Uh, as you are well aware, uh, Dr. Weldon is starting his sabbatical uh, today. In fact, he's out for the month of January. So uh, be praying for, for Dale uh, as he takes this month to, to be recharged and uh, refreshed. And, and we're uh, thankful that he has that opportunity this month. Uh, but we're going to be studying the, the book of Deuteronomy, at least some of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, in a new series titled, This is the Life, a Study in Deuteronomy. You may recall that Deuteronomy is a book that was written about 3,000 years ago, and even though it was written so long ago, it's actually quite relevant to us today. Uh, the, God's people on that day, the world around them was facing uh, many uncertainties. Uh, there was a lot of political tension, a lot of financial uncertainty, a lot of military uh, work was going on all around them, and yet, despite all those uncertainties, God was calling His people uh, through the urging of Moses, uh, to commit themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. He's calling us to do the same thing even today. So as we look at our text here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, you'll note that uh, the first portion of the, uh, of the chapter is actually the giving of the Ten Commandments. Since we've already uh, read those this morning, we're going to start down at uh, uh, verse 22. Uh, the, the original audience that first received the Ten Commandments, uh, you remember, were there on Mount Sinai when, when God gave, him, uh, gave them his commandments. This Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. We'll begin chapter 5, verse 22, and remember, this is the word of God. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And we've heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has, and has still lived? Go near. And hear all that the Lord our God will say. And speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you. And we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. 
They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it might go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we look to your spirit to show us mighty and wonderful and glorious truth in this portion of your holy gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, have you done it yet? You either probably did it last night, you might do it today, but it's time to make those New Year's resolutions. And here's the thing I know about New Year's resolutions. Many of you are going to make them, and many of you are going to break them. That's just the way it seems to work. As we look at our text this morning, we see some similarities with our New Year's resolution. God knows us oh so well, doesn't he? Even though the people at this time seem to have a good understanding of who God is and who they are, God knows that that understanding is not going to last very long. In, in verse 29, he points out th- that they're not going to keep their resolutions. God says in 29, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. God knows that his people are going to forget about him. He knows that they're going to go on with their lives and they're going to go back to the days of not remembering and fearing God. The days of not keeping his commandments. You know, it can almost be depressing if you think about it. God knows that you're going to go off and you're going to forget about him sometime soon. He knows that you're not going to keep his commandments. He knows that you're going to betray him. God knows what's best for his people, and it grieves him when his people choose to disregard his word. But hold on a second. Before you get too depressed, before you decide to give up on all your New Year's resolutions, only give you this word of encouragement. Before we decide, I just... I just can't do it. You're right. Maybe we should look at verse 29 a little bit more closely. Or actually, instead of looking at it more closely, maybe instead of looking at it from Mount Sinai, we should look at it from another mountaintop. What I want you to see from this other mountain is not that God on this day was necessarily grieving over the wickedness of our hearts and being frustrated that we're no longer going to fear him. 
and that we're going to somehow forget his law. No, what, what I want you to see this morning as we kick off this new year it is a sense of encouragement to us uh, that, that we can look at verse 29 not as a lament from God, but verse 29 can be seen as real hope for God's people. God knows we should have hearts that fear him and keeps his commandments. So therefore, this verse is actually pointing us towards Christ, the one who will give us hearts that can do such things. The one when we're tied and lashed with Christ, we have new hearts, and therefore we can praise the Lord. Mountains are very important in the Bible. They mark significant events. You remember that uh, when, after the ark came to rest, God made his covenant with Noah on a mountain. And Moses, as we read, received the law on a mountain. And, and Elijah fled to the same mountain when uh, Queen Jezebel was chasing him. Covenants were struck from mountaintop to mountaintop, people reading curses and blessings to each other. The holy city of Jerusalem was on a mountain. Jesus often went to the mountains to pray, and Jesus died on a mountain. And of all the mountains in Scripture, there are two that probably stand out as, as having the most symbolism. One is Mount Sinai, where the law came. And one is Mount Zion. The first represents the law, and the second represents the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, we read the recounting of God's awesome descent onto Mount Sinai to give the law to Moses. But in the rest of the Bible, we have the complete redemptive story where we're not left at the foot of Mount Sinai, but instead we're transported to Mount Zion, the mountain that represents Christ's nearness to his people. So what we have before us today is a tale of two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. I want to give you three points to remember each of the mountains by this morning. Deuteronomy 5.22, our passage here this morning, is talking about Sinai. And, and on its own, it offers us a temporal system, a terrifying threat, and a tragic end. The temporal system is that the sacrificial and legal system of the Old Covenant is something that even many of us today sort of want to embrace. There's something comforting about legal guidelines. You know, you could almost check something off a list and, and say that you have somehow or other equaled righteousness by doing so. But you see, that system was only a, a foreshadowing of, of, the, of what Christ was going to fulfill when he fulfilled the law. It was a temporal system. And we often prefer the temporal things of this world to the eternal because the eternal takes a lot of faith often. That's why we tend to put our trust in political activities rather than God's kingdom purposes because the, the, that former seems so much more concrete at times. We tend to prefer religious activity as opposed to trusting God because we feel like, again, we can 
check off our righteousness. And we tend to want to keep the Ten Commandments as if they were a, a means to, to earning our salvation, which they're not. Rather than trusting Christ for righteousness and keeping God's commandments out of gratitude. Why do we do that? Well, because we prefer what, which, that which we can measure, things that we think we can control. Not only is it a temporal system, it's a, it's a terrifying threat. If you're serious about seeking your salvation through keeping the law, you'll eventually face the terrifying fact that God's judgment is rolling towards you. And no matter what you try to do, you will not be able to get out of the way. Now, if you stay with your attempted law-keeping, you'll never be able to avoid an outrun or stop God's judgment against your sin. It just, that's just the facts. And without being the facts, that means that if you want to be a Mount Sinai person, you're set for a tragic end. Trying to enter God's presence in your own strength will most assuredly be met with a tragic end. God warned that if any of the people even touched his holy mountain, they would be killed. Those who try to enter God's heaven, where his holy presence dwells, and are not properly clothed by the righteousness of Christ, face a certain eternal death. Living on Mount Sinai is not what God intended. We've been given the rest of the story. The threat of the law is actually a prelude to grace. It's only as we recognize the law on its own, that, that, that the law on its own only kills, that we will recognize the full greatness of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Mount Sinai not only warns the unbelievers, that if they can continue to try to save themselves, that they will fail eternally. But it's also there to rebuke the, the saints, to quit trying to, to use uh, the law and, and, and your own efforts as some sort of additive to your salvation. That's not what God intends. So we can see that eternal life and peace with God is not going to be found on Mount Sinai. So where do we go? The spiritual place of salvation is, is described figuratively throughout the Bible as Mount Zion. In contrast to Mount Sinai, Mount Zion offers us these three things. Happy living, a heavenly home, and true healing. The first characteristic of salvation in Christ is happiness. Now, actually, I'll have to be honest with you. I'm not so sure happiness is, is the best word. Joy is probably a better word, but that doesn't really fit my alliteration, so I had to go with happiness today. But I think, think you understand what I'm saying here. Living by the law brings only unhappiness and slavery because it cannot be done. But living by grace brings us into a happy, a happy company here on earth with one another and with our Savior Jesus Christ. Legalism brings meanness. Grace brings joy. 
Secondly, this salvation is not temporal, but it's eternal. It's not earthly, but it's heavenly. We have real hope in heaven. Heaven is the destination of all those who believe in Christ Jesus for their righteousness. What about pilgrims in this world? We are heirs of eternal blessings of Christ. Did you catch that? We are heirs of eternal blessings of Jesus Christ. Quit trying to make this world your home. You're just a passing through. Finally, we're reminded of the superiority of our mediator. The children of Israel, they turned to Moses, as we read earlier, and begged him to be their intermediary with God. Moses, though, only prepares us for Christ. Moses was never going to be able to fully remove the sins of his people. There is no other place where real healing can take place except for in Jesus Christ. So which more accurately characterizes your life? Do you try to live on Mount Sinai? Do you live in fear and dread and terror of God? Do you think that the Christian life consists of ticking off of laws and rules out of some sort of worksheet? Or do you know the joy of the life that's to be found in Christ? The joy of ready access to God, free of fear, free of dread. Do you know the joy of looking forward to never-ending life? Do you live on Mount Zion? If you live on Mount Zion, then guess what? Your life should be different than other people in this world. And that's what takes us to our verse of the year this morning. If you would, look in Hebrews 10 now. Let's put our verse in context this morning. The whole book of Hebrews speaks about how Jesus is better than. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than the high priest. Jesus is better than everything. It's what the book of Hebrews teaches us. And then in chapter 10, in verse 19, we're going to start with verse 19. We read this. Therefore, brothers, therefore, since Jesus is better than everything, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering For he who promised is faithful. And then here we go, our verses for 2012. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what we're told here is because of the work of Jesus, we can be Mount Zion people. And we, because we're Mount Zion people, should act differently. 
We should be so changed by the transforming and the renewing of the gospel that our lives should show it each and every day. We're actually going to be looking at, at these verses throughout our series this month. So uh, we're just going to have a few quick takeaways this morning. First, Mount Zion people are to be encouraging to one another. Look again at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. God's people will look to encourage, stir up, encourage one another for, to do good works. Take a close look at yourself and ask yourself, am I known as an encourager of others? That's what we're called to be, is to be an encourager of one another. In Christ, we should be people that love and encourage one another in a deep way. If you're not one of those encouraging people, you might be a Mount Sinai person. We're called to love one another and encourage one another to work in God's kingdom. You should be actively looking for, way, looking for ways to hearten one another on a regular basis. We're all involved in God's kingdom work. And our verse of the year tells us that we should look for ways to love and encourage each other. All of us have times when we're a bit down. You know, that's just part of living in a fallen world. There's, there's no doubt about it. One of the ways God intends for us to not to stay down, not to get depressed, is by the encouragement of the saints to one another. You are called to encourage everyone in this room. I hope you will be doing that. The second thing we see here is we're not to neglect meeting together. Now, I have to be honest with you, I kind of feel like uh, the proverbial uh, preaching to the choir on this one. It's New Year's Day, you all are here, right? Uh, and and we're, we're thankful for that. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but uh, this morning, let me just point out a couple of things for you. Our attendance and worship should never be done out of a sense uh, of fear or that obligation. That's, that's not the heart that we should be bringing into worship. If you have other things that you'd rather be doing on Sunday morning, then you might have a heart problem. God's people should be eager to gather with God's people each and every Sunday morning. I think uh, Dr. Weldon's uh, quote they used in the beacon was excellent. Uh, hopefully some of you all have already read it. But uh, uh, Robert Murray McShane wrote this in his journal on Sunday, February 23rd, 1834. Sabbath. Rose early to seek God and found him whom my soul loves. Why who would not rise early to meet such company? What a great understanding uh, McShane had of who the Lord is. If you do not care about being at worship, it may be because you do not care about whom you're worshiping. You should never say, hey, I really didn't get much out of the worship service today. You're not here primarily to get. You are here to give. 
You are the active participants. You are giving your worship. Now, one of the, the beauty of the way God does things is, is that we often are blessed through worship as we give our worship. I, I would encourage you at the end of each Sunday service, instead of sitting around the, the, the table and asking, how did the preacher do today? What do you think? Ask, how did I do today in bringing my worship to the Lord? If you find yourself in a place where you're not so sure that you're a good worshiper, I have good news for you. Right here in front of us is the table of our Lord Jesus. A table where God's people are restored and refreshed. You maybe didn't really want to come here this morning, but yet you're here. So now we're going to come to the table. You have to decide how you're going to approach the table. You're going to come with a Mount Sinai type heart. You could do that. That wouldn't be pleasing to the Lord. Or you can come with a Mount Zion heart. A heart that loves your fellow brothers and sisters and loves the Lord. And when you come with love and the way God intends and lays out for you, then you're coming not just to eat, but you're coming to feast with our Lord Jesus Christ. So how will you approach the Lord's table this morning? Will you approach it with fear? Fear because you're trying to do things your way. Maybe you're going to try and just steal a little bit of grace from the table this morning. That's Mount Sinai living. Don't do that. Or you come to the table joyfully recognizing that all of your sins have been removed. You come with love of God and, and with love for one another. If you do, that's Mount Zion living. And what could be a better way to start our new year? Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, look at your word this morning, uh, we are reminded that we are people with uh, bad hearts, and yet you do not leave us in that state. But because of your Son, Jesus Christ, you give us new hearts. So, Lord, as with praise and thanksgiving, we come to the table this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.